This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. everyone started to gravitate towards the audiobook and the audiobook is what really drove the numbers for us. I mean, the audiobook was a smash hit. So, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was, but the audiobook is what people really gravitated to. And that's what's still um, at the top, you know, the top 15 on audible still uh, to this day. So that's the one that's, that's really kind of driven the sales for David. And, uh, and so again, it's kind of luck, you know, we could, they couldn't get a hold of the book. So they went to the audiobook, and the audiobook is what really drove the word of mouth. Hey there, and welcome back to the writer files. I'm your host, Kelton Reed. And in part two of this file, we return with an exclusive look into the process behind not only how a writer gets paid to ghostwrite a title for a celebrity, but also the writing, research, and indie publishing of a book that sat on top of the Amazon charts for over a year. And a note on this one, we had to get a special permission from the incredible human and author, David Goggins, to share this story. So this is truly an exclusive, but it's no secret that the book was written by my good friend. A huge thank you to Mr. Goggins and his spirit, generosity, and ethos. From the ideation of David Goggins' best-selling book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, to publishing with Lioncrest in the experimental new media formats like an audiobook slash podcast and beyond, this is a glimpse behind the camouflage curtain. Can't Hurt Me shares Goggins' astonishing life story, reveals that most of us tap into only 40% of our capabilities. He calls this the 40% rule, and his story illuminates a path that anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their potential. The writer, or ghostwriter in this case, is an award-winning international journalist, author, serial pundit, and bad penny, Adam Skolnick. If you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the show notes, the archives at writerfiles.fm, And you can find the last 100 episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you pod. In part two of this file, Adam and I discussed the importance of a large social following for nonfiction authors, how timing plays such a big role in self-publishing success, why an audiobook slash podcast hybrid might be the next big thing for authors, the golden age for ghostwriting opportunities, how David Goggins' inspiring message goes beyond cookie-cutter self-help, and why there's no finish line for writers. This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by Words Matter by Wix. Are you looking for that burst of inspiration 
to break through your writer's block, or maybe you just need some quick grammar and style tips. Words Matter has tons of articles and resources to help you become a better writer, plus invites to intensive in-person writing workshops you won't want to miss. Just head over to wix.com slash wordsmatter slash blog to learn more. That's wix.com slash wordsmatter slash blog. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, The Writer Files is now available on Alexa because Apple Podcasts are available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices in the United States. Now all you have to do is say, Alexa, play The Writer Files on Apple Podcasts and she'll probably grant your wish. Stay tuned. Originally, he'd come back with comments. And then towards the end of the project, we were going over like the fine tooth comb stuff. You know, he was kind of getting annoyed with me because I was kind of defending territory because it kind of like I felt like it was, you know, I was like arguing to keep stuff in that he might want to change slightly or vice versa. But, you know, what I've what I came to realize is that uh, over over time, I've come to realize this is that, you know, you at first when you're a young writer, you kind of fight for all this territory. But really, things can change. And the, if the overall project is so solid and so good, um, a little change here or there doesn't affect it. Um, but still, sometimes I get a little bit tunnel vision. And so I think he was talking about, about yeah. my resistance <laughs> because he would get annoyed with it. Funny, but, you funny. know, that's just part of the process. And, and you know, uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Interesting. So then how do you, how do you all link up with... Um, Tucker Max's company in Lioncrest. And had that been the plan all along? Were you approached by them or, you know, yeah. how, how did that, so that come to be? That was all David. So really all I was, um, so David's manager, Jennifer Kish and David and I were kind of working together on this project from the beginning. And so Jennifer was kind of tasked with, if we're not going with Harper One, if we're, if we're going to publish ourselves, what's the best way to do that? So then David and Jennifer um, linked up with Tucker, Tucker Max, who had a company called Book in the Box. Now it's called Scribe, where they can, um, where they create self-published books for people who want a book. Um, they can do it, everything from, you know, interview you and write your book for you, um, or they can just edit the book you've already, manuscript you've already got, and then get it published, which is what they did for us. So um, we ended up having an editor that they, kind of put us in contact with through one of, one of their editors, and then they did the publishing. So that's how that worked. Jennifer and David found them. Um, I don't know exactly the process they went through to find Tucker and his company, uh, but we ended up with them straight away, had a good working relationship with them. And you know the, what, what was ended up being interesting about that choice is the book wouldn't have come out until the spring of this year, 2019, if mm-hmm. we had stayed with Harper One. That would have been the earliest it had come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, we were able to, we finished the, we locked the manuscript in like July or so or August, and the book is out in December. So we were Amazing. able to, to speed it up. And one thing that I've learned from having this success is that 
although the story is phenomenal, David's social media footprint is phenomenal um, and his engagement's amazing. So that all plays a role, but timing plays, plays a big role too. And the timing just worked out for us. Um, some, some stuff by accident, for instance, they, they, I think they printed 50,000 copies to start with. And the book came out in early December and sold those 50,000 sold in like a couple of weeks. And wow. it wasn't even, wasn't even Christmas and we were out of books and they weren't going to be able to get books again until like 20, until 2019. So this is like Jeez. December 2018. And so yeah. the book had just rocketed to the top of the charts on Amazon. And That's then right. it was just like, you couldn't get it. But what we also did was we'd gone in the studio and done an audio book and everyone started to gravitate towards the audio book. And the audio book is what really drove the numbers for us. I mean, the audio book was a smash hit. So, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was, but the audio book is what people really gravitated to. And that's what's still um, at the top, you know, the top 15 on Audible still uh, to this day. So that's the one that's that's really kind of driven the sales for David. And, uh, and so again, it's kind of luck, you know, we could, they couldn't get a hold of the book. So they went to the audio book and the audio book is what really drove the word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing feat that you all pulled off because the audio book is a hybrid audio book and podcast. So basically what Adam and, and David did was they got in the studio and Adam voiced, he narrates the book and then brings David in, in in interstitial pieces to do kind of a hybrid podcast where you're you you you're asking him questions about the book he's sharing more in-depth stories maybe that weren't in the book right yeah and then talking about the challenges yeah that was another um another aspect of it uh that I told him was a terrible idea that's how <laughs> you read the book <laughs> Because, because, you know, his popularity is really ingrained in these great viral Instagram videos that that go viral on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, where he is talking to his audience and then also his incredible podcasts, which are kind of interviews, but they're also uh, performances, you know, real, it's real life. He's just telling you, it's not a performance in, in calling it fake. It's a performance in the fact that he's a storyteller. And so he's so good that people want to hear his voice. That's what they love. So yeah. I thought he should read his own book. Um, right. And I thought that I should interview him in between chapters. But he was more comfortable with me reading the book um, and narrating the book and then bringing him in. And, you know, we, he was right there with me. We were in separate studios in the, sa- in the same recording studio, but in separate interview, you know, I guess separate studios within that, within that compound. And uh, so he was there the whole time on the mic with me. I would read and then we would kind of break off sometimes within a chapter, sometimes at the end of a chapter to, to discuss that period of his life. And so then it enabled him to have that podcast type interview freedom where he could get, dig into material and, and, and ramp up and tell the story and, and the way he does it, um, the kind of thing that his listeners and his fans really love. Um, and at the same time, tell the story the way we laid it out on the page. So it was kind of best of both worlds. And it, it was his idea to bring me in, you know, like it should be said that most, most authors do not bring their ghostwriters in like that and, and, and make them a part of a team in that way. So, um, yeah. that was the thing he, another choice he made. That's incredible. Incredible story. So the audiobook it basically topping the charts. And then the book is still at the top of the charts as we speak. And I and I will ask you, did it finally beat Michelle Obama? 
<laughs> you know, there was a, it was a funny period of time, like in the fir- when the book was first came out and it was doing so well, you'd look at like the top ranked Amazon authors and it was Michelle Obama, David Goggins, and then like uh, J.K. Rowling and, you know, John Grisham and like Stephen King and, you know, like, like <laughs> you know, John Steinbeck yeah. and like all these people. Uh, so it was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, he surpassed Michelle Obama in sales a month, a week here, a week there um, for, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the book, the book uh, for an independently published book to hit the New York Times bestseller list, to be at the top of the Amazon charts, kind of hitting all these different bestseller lists. It's just unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, he was able to do it. Sold a million copies. Yeah. Congratulations to you both. It's a pretty, pretty miraculous uh, story and, and feat that that, uh, you know, thank you so much for sharing it because honestly, like, you know, how, how often would we get the chance to pick the brain of a, a best-selling ghostwriter? Cause for the most part, we, we never know who these people are <laughs> or, or ghosts. Uh, you yeah. know, in some ways I've been, I think it's kind of the golden age of the ghostwriter in some way, if there's such a thing, mm-hmm. uh, because Oh, the way nonfiction books are sold now is you really have to have a platform for for a lot of publishers to want a piece of your product, yeah. um, your book. So um, that means usually a social media following of some kind. Uh, fiction is not nearly as important, but nonfiction books a lot of times are driven by social media, and it, because yeah. you can you can sell books, right? You're bringing you're not they're not just buying an idea or a piece of writing. They're buying a platform from which you can sell books, so they're you know guaranteed to make their money back. Is the idea thinking? It's not always doesn't always work out that way, but that's how it's been more so lately. And so what does what does that mean? Well, not everybody with a big social media following is capable of writing a book. Some people are, some people aren't. So uh, that that opens up even more possibilities for ghostwriters. So I think in some ways. Um, it really is kind of a, a golden age for ghostwriting, which is an opportunity then for working writers, who I know a lot of your listeners are, to get involved in those kind of ghostwriting collaborations. Because if you do your agreement properly, um, you can you can make a decent living and then also have some back end that if it becomes a hit could be really good for you going forward, um, that kind of stuff. So uh, I definitely yeah. encourage writers uh, talking to their agents about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, what's cool about it, I think, especially for you and how you came to write this book with David is just that you had this um, background as an award-winning sports writer. So basically your experience with, you know, some of these extreme sports and covering stories for the New York Times put you in that position to, you know, do the, do the one breath deal which yeah. then led to this really in, in a, I mean, in a completely. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think, I, I think of myself, I mean, I, I did, uh, uh, yeah, I think of myself as a generalist. I do write about sports, um, but I think of myself as a generalist from a journalist perspective. And I think that generalist idea, the fact that I'm interested in sports, but I'm also interested in um, human rights and in, you know, mm-hmm. the, our American history and, um, you know, made put me in position to understand David's story. I think from a perspective, from a different perspective, mm-hmm. I was interested in in David's. Uh, uh, you know, it starts out in 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 the seventies in um, 
in Buffalo, New York, where he's right. kind of like working as a, uh, a five-year-old, six-year-old and his dad's uh, roller der- roller disco. Uh, right. and, and just like to the fact that I have a historical lens on this country enabled me to kind of understand it, I think, and understand what David went through in a way. Right. Um, just and, and so I think being a generalist helped me in that, in that regard. It, it continues to help me. I mean, it, 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 I think building a career made it challenging. The fact that I was interested in travel and sports and this and that made it hard for me to like have a brand, I guess, if you could say. Um, but now I think it's, it's helped me. It took a while, but I think it's, it's gotten there. No, yeah. Well, since then, I mean, obviously you've been working all the while on quite a few different um, pieces of journalism, some of the more fascinating, obviously, were not necessarily extreme sports related. Yeah, tell us, tell us what you've been working on. I know your latest is out, and it, it's titled "The Environmental Threat of Trump's Wall." Yes, this year, this year, I've kind of focused a lot on um, trying to focus on environmental stories. It was going to be like the year of kind of telling ocean type stories, yeah, <laughs> um, and it's kind of morphed it beyond that. You know, I think that's something that I've been wanting to do more of. And so I've been doing that, I feel like, with kind of this existential threat of climate change or very real threat of climate change. um, Ocean pollution issues are near and dear to me because I am in the ocean so much and I care about it so much. So uh, so kind of the environment and oceans are always at the top of my list. And again, just being a generalist, liking, you know, I love telling the kind of adventure sports stories, but I also am interested in environmental stories and political stories. So so uh, in November, April Wong, who's my wife and a collaborator, she's a photographer, and I went to Southern Arizona. We went down to Tucson for two weeks and kind of used Tucson as a base to explore the border area um, east and west of Tucson at the south, right on the border. And uh, and we were there to kind of check out the new wall that's being built on uh, fe- protected federal land. So one in a national monument called the Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument, and another near the San Bernardino National Wildlife Refuge, which is in um, kind of the eastern part of the Tucson, so-called Tucson sector, which is a border patrol sector. And so those are the two places where this new wall is being built right now, kind of the newest ver- the newest wall <laughs> that's being built in, in those two areas. And uh, so we went down there and take, took a look at it from an environmental perspective because I think a lot of times we're, we've been thinking about this fight for the wall in human terms uh, me me too because you know we we conflate it with family separa- separation and with these new hurdles for asylum seekers and they all kind of play into the same thing which is here is a president who's kind of implementing this new policy but what are its effects um, and they can affect human beings but in this case um, he's been given the power because of a 2005 law that was passed as a budget writer that no one was paying attention to because of that law he's been able to waive the endangered species act the clean water act the clean air act 41 total federal laws that he's been able to waive to get this thing built. Okay, mm. that's one thing. But then what what are the potential impacts? So that's kind of what the story is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would definitely link to that one. And um, we'll point at adamskolnick.com where you can find his latest. Um, obviously, Adam posts a lot of really, really beautiful photos um, over on Adam, Adam Skolnick on Instagram. I'm sorry, let me... Yeah. Yeah, it's just at Adam Skolnick on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. 
yeah, at Adam Skolnick on, on Instagram has uh, pictures uh, that are outstanding. A lot of those are by April, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're a I have, I've outsourced most of my photography <laughs> to you're a photo- more talented You're a photographer <laughs> and you're your tech person. Yes. April, we yes. appreciate you. And chief financial officer. <laughs> oh, welcome to marriage, my friend. Um, yeah, so let's go back to the book. Of course, the title is Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds by author David Goggins. And, you know, I mean, there is just something really, really unique and incredible about the story. And I, I do understand why um, it has been a bestseller for so long. But yeah, he talks about this uh, 40% rule. And I don't think it's just, it's only applicable to, you know, like endurance no. um, athletes. No. It's, it's applicable to almost everything, you know, in, in life and hurdles that you come up against. And so I wanted to talk about that because, you know, he speaks to what, like fortune 500s and kids and classrooms yep. and, and he's yep. just, he's incredibly inspiring for, for some different re- reasons that you might not grasp right away. Right. Well, but, he'll always say that he doesn't work the body hard because he wants to be the greatest endurance racer ever. Um, he works the body hard because it prepares his mind for life. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that because I wanted to ask you how um, working on the book with David and writing about these things maybe affected your own personal, you know, I don't know, your your yeah. mentality, your your you know, any, any, any changes you notice? Because for me, there's a part of it that's, you know, it goes beyond those kind of the, the, the typical self-help book. Um, yeah. Because yeah. there's something very stoic about Mr. Goggins. And, you know, and, and I know you and I have shared a lot of literature over the years that's, you know, covered ground from, you know, anything from Taoism to, to Buddhism, and some all the way to the things. Carlos Castaneda books. I think we were. Yeah, yeah. So we we've well. shared a lot of yeah. kind of um, ideas that are you know non traditional. But uh, talk a little bit about that because there's something about Mr. Goggins that's that's fascinating to me, and it it's almost like he's a modern day samurai or something. And there's a yeah. there's a, Bo- a Buddhist piece to to kind of unlo- unlocking these these things about the human mind. Can you talk a little bit about that and and. I don't know. Yes. Maybe maybe it's effect on you personally. Yes. Well, I think one thing that I that comes to mind is his open mindedness. So when you think of a Navy SEAL or a Special Forces guy, open minded isn't what you necessarily think. You 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 wouldn't describe somebody like that. You'd think that they were pretty. You know had we're kind of more didactic and this is how I do things, this is how I accomplish things. I mean, I would anyway. Like a military mind is usually thought of someone who sets things out, creates a plan and does it. And open mindedness isn't something you necessarily think of. But Yo, he's he's he, one of the he calls more, himself a knuckle dragger very often, which is kind of yeah. funny, right? <laughs> yes. But I mean open mindedness in the sense that, you know, I think he he takes being open minded and makes it less of a mushy new age thing and more in, in a very raw, real uh, sense. And I think that's I think that's kind of speaks to, to what you're talking about. And so he'd be open minded about like we might have had a good title, but he wants to have a great title or he might make it like I'm open minded about, uh, you know, 
can I can I break the record for pull ups in a 24 hour period? It takes an open mind to you know, there's all sorts of reasons why you can doubt yourself and put limits on yourself. But it takes an open mind to think in a more limitless way. It takes an open minded person to say I'm 100 pounds overweight, but I still think I can be a Navy SEAL. So I think open mindedness is one of his most marked qualities that I don't think people really get right away. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that, you know, the fact that he has that open mind to put himself into positions that are going to cause a lot of suffering. You know, he, he ran a hundred miles without training. I didn't even know that was humanly possible. He proved it was possible because he had the open mind to say, maybe it is possible. Oh my gosh. Um, and so that's something, uh, you spoke about the 40% rule. You know, one of his rules is that, um, when we think we're at our 100% max capacity, whether we're running up a hill, we're on a treadmill, uh, or XYZ, we're probably at 40% of our capacity. And if you just push through that wall, you'll open up another 60% of capability. So that's something he talks about a lot. So I think from my perspective, I, I'm more open-minded having come through the, uh, through, so in, in a more subtle way, that's where I would say I've, I've, been impacted the most that yeah. I'm more open-minded that I'm more willing to listen I'm a better listener and I'm more confident from just having the interactions I had with David that's not to say I was unconfident before um, it's just to say that I'm a little bit more more confident I'm a, I'm a lot more open-minded um, I would never try to protect like punctuation in a sentence anymore like I'm just not like thinking in those small things anymore. I think I was guarding smaller territory and now I'm, 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 I'm less inclined to guard small territory and, and mm-hmm. take in the big picture a bit more. I think, you know, people do ask me that, like what's impacted me. I mean, I would, I would, I mean, I'm, I'm 48 years old, you know, like I'm not saying I'm not a, I'm not a finished product. No one's a finished product, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've certainly have my fixed areas and, and, and I've lived long enough to be a confident person. So I wouldn't say that like my life has completely changed in some sort of direction. I mean, it has in just the sense of having the success is really great. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think it's more subtle things like just being a little bit more open-minded. Uh, you know, I'm definitely one, one concrete thing is I'm going to circuit training now. I, when I, when I met him, I was just in the ocean all the time working out all my exercise was swimming and a little bit of running. And now, um, now I'm actually doing these grueling circuit workouts, which are a yeah. fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I'm in better shape now that I've been in, you know, in a long, long, long time. Yeah. So, uh, that's got to relate. That's got to relate back to David for sure. So, do you find yourself then applying some of what he talks about to yes. that yes, finding, yes, yes, finding, yes. you know, because he's talking about suffering a lot, yes, and yes. you know, finding this place in your mind that, that you know, or discovering places in your mind that you that nobody really knew existed until they get to this place. And so, when you're when you're standing on the on the podium. You know, like after a, an ultra marathon with these guys, you know, there's not a lot. He's saying something like, there's no, there's really no finish line. Like you get there right. and these guys kind of have this, they have this same look like, what's next? You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel like, and that's true. You know, that's a great parallel for your listeners, for writers in particular, in particular, because we can always, we finally, we get to a place and when something is published and we think, all right, I get to share it and I get to like, see the reaction and pretty quickly you realize that like, okay, what's next? You know, like not just because you have to, to make a living in some cases it's that, but in some cases it's just what's next because the actual reward is in the work itself. Um, 
you talked about a stoic, a stoic a stoicism within kind of the Goggins mindset and a Buddhist element. Um, that's in, you know, he talks a lot about the suffering and finding within the suffering is where he found his kind of connection to a life beyond the suffering, to a place yeah. beyond the suffering of light and um, appreciation for mm-hmm. everything he had to deal with. I think the book ends in a really positive direction that people didn't expect, and it comes through that, what you're talking about. So yeah, he, there is no doubt about the fact that he looks at the suffering, and to him, that's home. Yeah. Getting to yeah. a place where he has to fight his demons and overcome pain and suffering and find a way, to him, that's home. He just competed in uh, uh, a 250-mile race in, oh or 240, 240, 250 mile race in, in Moab, Utah. And in that race, he was right on the heels of, of the first place finisher. And uh, someone like some sign got blown down. He went off course about, you know, seven or eight miles and had to run back. So now he's 15 miles. He had, he had added 15 miles onto 250 miles. Then he's going up, uh, up 10,000 foot peak and he has a uh, pulmonary edema from uh, altitude. Yeah. Because he'd already run some 200 miles up to that point. So he has to leave and go seek medical attention. So he already gets a DNF. He did not finish. He's out. He had to leave because he had to go to the hospital. But then he wakes up feeling fine back in Moab, looking and seeing there's still some people out there on the course, not the winners, but there's still people out there on the course fighting and suffering. He goes back out onto the course where he left the night before and finishes the race, even though he'd already gotten a DNF, even though it wouldn't have counted as an official finish, he (laughs) went and finished the race because to him – that's home. And when I called him when he was on his way out there or I texted him saying, good luck, um, he said, you know, good luck out there. Uh, you know, he goes, he goes, I'm going home, brother. This is what, you know, that, that's what he was saying. This is, that's what he was looking forward to. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And he's a philanthropic guy and, and very, very gracious and, and with his time and, and his uh, causes. And, and I mean, it's just a truly, truly remarkable human being. So please send our regards and, and, and uh, again, a huge thank you for taking the time to do this. The book is Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. And it shares Mr. Goggins' astonishing life story, reveals um, you know, a part of the human mind that a lot of us don't know exists. And uh, his story illuminates a path that anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their full potential. Adam, thank you for doing this, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. I'm sure we could talk forever. I know you got to go. Um, I'm going to point at adamskolnick.com, uh, Adam Skolnick on Instagram and Twitter, at Adam Skolnick, and a handful of other great resources. This book, of course, your latest for outside. What else do you want to uh, drop before we drop the mic? Uh, you know, just thank you for, and, and, you know, for this great resource that is the writer files and, uh, and for your listeners for tuning in. We appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Oh, well, the pleasure is all mine. As you know, this is a labor of love and listeners. I love you. (laughs) Is that a weird way to stop? No, That's good. I love you all. (laughs) I love you so much. Besos. (laughs) Um, all right, man. I think we'll, I think we'll stop it there. We'll stop somewhere in there. Is that really weird? Somewhere in there, you'll stop. Uh.
Thanks so much for joining us for this half of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm, where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. And thank you.